Let's dive into our message today. I want to be back in 2 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles or you want to open up your scripture journal or get on your, uh, the church app and find the scriptures for today, we're going to be in the second chapter. This is going to be a unique teaching today because Paul, the one that wrote Thessalonians, remember this is now his second letter to the same church. It was a church that he planted. It grew very quickly. Then Paul had to leave because of persecution. And Paul finds out that the persecution uh, did not diminish the church, but it, the church began to thrive in spite of the persecution. And so he writes the first letter. He then hears later that the persecution has intensified. And so he writes this second letter. And the second letter is nothing short of, here's how you face suffering. Here's how you go through life when the odds and the powers that be are all stacked against you. That's the quick summary of what 2 Thessalonians. Here's how you live in these kind of conditions. And so one of the things that... The, Thessal- the Christians in Thessalonica, that's the city where this is, the letter gets its name from, that they were wrestling with is very akin to things that we wrestle with right now. And one of them is, especially if you pay attention over the last couple of years, it just seems like, and we'll even use this phrase, that the end is near. We kind of live with this guy here that I have this picture of, that we just think the end is close. I mean, and especially, we all hit this when the pandemic was coming and was like, okay, here comes the plagues. And then the world froze over in Texas the next year. And so it just seemed like we're sure the end is near. And what happens is our anxieties all get ramped way up, don't they? And it seems like in the last several years, we've just not received any kind of relief from most of our anxiety levels running at an all-time high, keeping us stressed out. And it seems like we ask the question, how long can this go on? How long will it be this way? And we start feeling like the end is near. In fact, you can actually, you know, if you want to go down a rabbit trail on Google, just jump in and put, you know, end of time prophecies or is the end coming or when's the end of of time supposed to arrive. And you can chase all kinds of different deals. Now, this is not our first time at this rodeo, okay? I'm old enough to remember Y2K. Y2K is what was supposed to happen when the year rolled over from 1999 into the year 2000. The world was supposed to have been. People made a lot of money writing books about the end of the world. I don't think there was a refund policy available. But they wrote these books saying, it's coming, here's all the signs, here's all the distressing things, and then they started pointing out certain leaders would rise to power. And there it is. You say, there it is. That was spotted. This has been a cycle that has gone on again and again and again throughout time since Jesus. And I share all that because that's exactly where we're going to jump into the Scripture today because Paul is addressing this very concern because the Christians in Thessalonica are living with a heightened sense of anxiety... And 
they think the end is either near or it's already come and for some reason they've missed it. Why do they think this? Because their lives are very difficult right now. They are experiencing persecution. And they are experiencing persecution when they're in a society where they are the underdogs by every definition. They, are, they have no power. They have no political clout. There's no such thing as a moral majority. There's not a party in, in power that, that cares about them. They are simply being pushed to the edges of society... They're being passed over in the marketplace. Some of them are actually losing their life because they will not say the words, Caesar is Lord. And they look at this and they think the end must be close. And so Paul is going to address that. And they're going to wrestle with the issue of where is God in the middle of all this. And perhaps that's a question that you've asked maybe in some personal suffering and struggle that you've had, or maybe as you look around at all the world events that go on and think, where's God in this? Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about. So we're going to walk through Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and it's pretty dense in some ways. And so I'm going to walk through it, and we're going to come up with some teaching and some, some things that I believe Paul wants us to understand from it, but... If, it, if, it, if we have to chew on this a little bit, that's okay, because, because this, is some, this is some difficult stuff. So, if you would, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm going to just start reading in verse 1, and we'll work our way through it. Here we are. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers... Now. He's about to launch into the problem. He's about to launch into their concern, and so he's going to address their anxieties head on. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word. Now, the next phrase is very interesting. Look at this, and if you like to underline things, I encourage you to underline this. Or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. We're not really sure exactly what's going on, but it appears that somebody had written a letter as if it was coming from Paul, and they did what we'll see a lot of commentators do today, a lot of religious figures will do today. They kind of read the tea leaves, they read the headlines, and they said, look how bad it is, and they're declaring the day of the Lord has come. And what they did is they somehow associated it with teaching that Paul was doing. So it carried even more validity, even more weight. Because Paul's the one, again, that brought this message to the, the church. This is a church that Paul, in many ways, he's the, the father of this church. He get, you know, helped this church come into being. And so if you could associate it with Paul, suddenly... And so it's got them all alarmed. So they're dealing with something where they're getting some false information. And it's being cited from Paul. And now they're concerned. And now they're worried. Because they feel like the day of the Lord's come, but they're still suffering. Why would we still be suffering if the day of the Lord has come? And the day of the Lord's a phrase that means the bad things are here. But God also shows up, so why are we still struggling like this? goes on. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come 
unless the rebellion comes first. And now he starts describing the end. He starts describing these end times. And the man of the lawlessness is revealed. Now, I do want you to zone in on that one. So circle that, because we're going to deal with this man of lawlessness, because we've got to understand and put this in the proper context. This, the, the man, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, same person, the son of destruction, they're referring to the same person, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So what we have is we've got a figure that's going to show up. And Paul refers to this figure as the person of lawlessness or the man of lawlessness. And this is a character that he's describing. Now, here's where it gets really dicey. We don't know if he's describing somebody in particular. And I can show you a whole shelf full of theologians that think he's describing somebody in particular. And then you start getting into the effort of who's he describing, what's the world leader that he's describing. But somebody that's going to come onto the scene and is going to be opposed to God. Oftentimes this person is referred to as the Antichrist. Or is he simply describing a season, a, a, a movement that is just so evil that lawlessness and rebellion become the standard? And so either way you want to take that, it's clear that there is... This, this is distressing. And Paul's saying, you're not in the end times yet because there's something coming. Now, here's a struggle that I'm going to have with this. It's because if they're struggling right now, Paul is in some way saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. He's saying, there is something coming that will be of great concern, and heartache to you. He wraps this up this way. Verse 5. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so Paul's saying, I've already, I've already spoken to this. I, I've told you what's going to come. And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. And so Paul gives us one more bit of information that there is some this man of lawlessness, this evil is out there and it's real. But something is restraining it from having full reign and dominating and destroying the world. Now, Paul does not clearly identify what that is. But from his writings and from the context, what I believe Paul is saying is that, because he says, you know, you know what is restraining him. I believe what Paul is saying is the Spirit of God is restraining him. The Spirit of God is at work. Now, remember, their big question is, have we missed the second coming? Are we just now abandoned? Where is God in the middle of this? And Paul is saying, God's right in the middle of it right now. And in fact, God's already at work to pull the reins back on this evil that wants to overtake you. This evil that wants to dominate. 
And he ends in verse 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. So God's at work. So I want to give us just a few teachings that I believe that comes from this. So Paul is writing, and he's writing to these folks that are struggling. They're under persecution. They're suffering. And Paul's words to them are, your suffering is not, is not in vain. Your suffering is not because you somehow missed it. God is present with you. And he says, God's already at work. And so the first thing that I think we need to understand is we look around our times, as we look around in your life and whatever you're struggling with and whatever that suffering is, is that suffering is not an indication of the absence of God. It would have been very easy for these followers of Jesus to look around and say, we're struggling. We thought it would be so different than this. We must be struggling because God has abandoned us. Whatever struggling, suffering, persecution, heartache, obstacle you're facing right now is not an indication that God has abandoned you. What Paul is teaching is in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your feeling like you're abandoned, God is at work, unseen by you. But He is holding things back. For your blessing, for your benefit. Now, remember, this is a hard teaching because what we want God to do is show up and just make it all right, right now. Right? That's what we're hoping for. But suffering is not an indication of the absence of God in your life. It is possible. For you to be in the very center of God's will for your life. And you're still facing something very difficult. It's not that God's gone on vacation and forgotten you. But he is at work. It may be unseen by you. It was unseen by the Thessalonian Christians. God's at work and he's not absent. And Paul talks about all of these things about... but. The end's not going to come until the, the man of lawlessness arrives, and you're going to know when he arrives. And he starts describing these end-time things. Now, here's our temptation. Here's what we struggle with. Because we're so caught up in wanting to know the end times and the last things and how's it all going to, going to go at the end, that we start trying to figure it out. That we start trying to go to passages like this, and we're so tempted to go, okay, that it must be this world leader and it must be this set of events and here's this weather, weather pattern and this is the virus and suddenly we start going, okay, this all indicates this coming. That's what we did with Y2K. That's what we did. You may or may not be aware in, in 2012 there was the idea because the Mayan calendar for some reason ended in 2012 that that was the other end of the world. Let me tell you, Paul is not trying to give the church in Thessalonica, and he's not trying to give you and me clues to the end. Paul doesn't want to give clues to the end times. He wants to give comfort in these times. He, he's not saying, let me give you enough so you can go and break the code. He's saying, have comfort today. 
in the midst of whatever it is you're dealing with today, right now, that God is at work. And we need to hang on to that. Because, again, it's so easy to get anxious about so many things that we have zero control over. And so Paul wants to reframe our our understanding of this. And so, how is he going to bring that comfort? He brings the comfort in the very next verse. So here's what I want you to look at. Um, Verse 8 says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. This is what Paul's saying. Here's what the end times are going to look like. It's going to be big, and it's going to be scary, and it's not going to be pretty. And the second that Jesus shows up, all he's going to do is blow it out. You ever blown out the candles on a birthday cake? I know for some of us, we kind of wheeze, and you know it's a little bit harder. For most, it's a... This is what Paul's saying. In this day, when the lostness shows up, Jesus will simply go, and it's over. The victory's won. You may be familiar with Armageddon, that phrase, and Revelation paints the picture that there's going to be this mighty battle at the end. And we conjure up all kinds of images of that battle, and we think because Satan's going to marshal all his forces and God and his angels, and they're going to clash in this cosmic battle. And we see that as an epic, unbelievable event that Hollywood has done a thousand different ways, a thousand different times, and it's always this incredible event. If you read Revelation, where the description is taken, it looks like the whole deal's over in about 15 minutes. It's not a contest. Satan stages his greatest effort and Jesus puffs it out, is the message. There should be some amen at some point in this sermon. I'm working hard, do you understand? You and I serve a king that his greatest enemy shows up looking his most terrifying and Jesus blows him a kiss and it's over. That's the life that we're granted. The victory is already decided. And then he ends this way. He then shifts. I'm going to just go ahead and jump right to in, in the interest of time. Jump to... Um, Jump to verse 13 with me, please. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you. Brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And then he gives us the instructions. So then, brothers, how do you live in this time? How do you live in this in-between time? Stand firm. Hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word 
or by our letter. The instructions are this. Stand firm, hold tight. Stand firm, hold This is your task in these times of great anxiety. Paul's not denying the anxiety. He just says, what, how do you live? You stand firm and you hold tight what he calls the traditions. And these are the, the teachings that Paul has, has given us. The ones that he'd already laid out to this church. Years ago when I was a youth minister, we would go on Wilderness Trek. And Wilderness Trek is a, a very spiritually focused time of camping and hiking in uh, the Colorado mountains. And as part of that experience, you're out there to, to be isolated and you're off the grid. You don't, you, your phone doesn't work out there. And there's times of devotional, times of reflection. Well, one of the exercises they do is they take the group repelling. Now, to me, this sounds really cool in theory until you get up on the 60-foot, 70-foot high cliff that you're going to go off of. And if you've ever done this before, it's a rush, that's for sure, but I don't like heights. I have no problem flying in an airplane, but I don't like things that where gravity can just take over really easily. And so, but obviously, I'm the youth minister, I'm the leader, I'm not going to show it in front of the students that, that I'm shaking in my knees, but they start giving us the instructions. And come to find out, that basically, as much as I thought that this was going to require great skill on my part, you're so tied in that you're not going anywhere. But it's still intimidating to go over that edge. And so the instructions that they give are this, that you want to stand firm with your feet apart up against the face of the rock. You want to hold tight to the rope, that one they didn't have to give me. And you want to trust the rope. And that's the hard one. Stand firm, hold tight, trust the rope. Because when you did that, you realized that this rope that can hold a Volkswagen automobile off the side of this cliff, it's got you. And then you start to enjoy the experience. And you are out over the edge, feet on a vertical wall, holding tight, and yet now your heart is racing for all the right reasons. There's an excitement and enthusiasm and experience that you cannot get standing safe on the ground. And so Paul is telling us, you live this unbelievable, exciting life, so you stand firm and you hold tight. And what do you hold tight to? You trust these traditions. And Paul does not name this teaching, but from all of Paul's teaching, I'm going to give you a quick summary of what he's asking us to stand firm and hold tight to. And this comes from his other letters and his other teachings. and his other. So here's the quick summary. First thing is Paul's always telling his churches to hold tight, stand firm to the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is always Paul's 
bottom line for everything, that you hold tight to the gospel, that you encounter the gospel, and if you have not encountered and submitted yourself into the saving message of Jesus Christ, that's the first thing that you need to have if you're going to survive these highly anxious times. The second thing that Paul is always calling us to is back into the life of the church, the actions and the life and, and the practices of the church that you would participate in a worshiping church, not because God takes attendance, but because it is the worshiping life of the church that helps you to stand firm. Participating in the Lord's Supper like we did just a few minutes ago, being shaped by that, submitting your life to God in baptism, and being part of what it means to be the body of Christ. And the last thing is Paul is always reiterating the life and the behaviors of what it means to be a Christian. That you would live individually, the church is collectively, that you're living individually the life and behavior of a Christian, and it's always marked by love. That you're somebody that's growing in their love for Jesus and the people around you. And so what Paul wants us to do is he doesn't want us to get so caught up in when's the end times, what's the last days, So Paul wants to change our focus. He wants to focus not on last things, but on things that last. If you want to stand firm and hold tight, lean into and trust the gospel. Lean into and participate in the life of a worshiping church. Lean into and practice every single day Christian love, life, and behavior. And there's the message that Paul is telling us. And this is how, even in the midst of your suffering, even in the midst of high anxiety times, even when it looks like the world is going crazy around us, you'll stand. Because God is at work in the middle of this. And what these practices will do, it will tune your radar to see God at work. And knowing that he is Lord of everything.